it's, it's really interesting because we already we don't live in a post-scarcity world strictly speaking for food and housing and what have you but we, we live in a post-scarcity world when it comes to media and yet the capitalist system puts an artificial quota on it when there doesn't need to be anything you know you can copy a video file infinite times it, it doesn't wear out so th there's a lot of technology that ca could be put to socialist means and it just isn't presently presently Presently. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know ascendancy I, I, within the within the Labour them. Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing the hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard the left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 Okay, so I think that we should go on to talk about the news and yeah. about what's been happening in politics. I suppose so, the biggest event would be uh, the inauguration. So, yeah, the inauguration happened, and it was a thoroughly boring and grotesque spectacle. Yeah, and of course much uh, news has been made about the size of the crowd. It was, I heard... Almost as big as Owen Smith's massive cock. <laughs> yeah, so, so before that, there were the final days of the Obama administration. And Obama did a good thing. Actually, good yeah. thing. And yeah, he commuted Chelsea Manning's sentence. Down to five months, wasn't it? Yeah, and I can't remember which month she's released in. I think it, it might be May. But that, that yeah. was a genuine good thing. I mean, he wasn't going to pardon her because the official line of the Obama administration is that what she did was wrong. But yeah. releasing her from prison under a Donald Trump presidency, it shows that, you know, a moment of mercy on Obama's part. Yeah, she was that... never going to get anything under Trump. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, of course not. Although, do you reckon Except for Trump... maybe killed. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Trump's going to pardon Julian Assange? Uh, oh... <laughs> I, I, I've, I've heard some like mixed stuff about that whole thing. Didn't WikiLeaks have something to do with him getting so popular in the first place? Because they leaked, uh, was it Clinton's emails? That, that was that them behind yeah, they, it. They were the ones who linked all the all the stuff from the DNC hack, I think. And, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, for, and and the Clinton email. So they've put out a lot of stuff that really damaged the Clinton campaign. And you could you could perhaps argue but they have not afforded Trump quite the same scrutiny. That's being very diplomatic. <laughs> um, and, He's um, talking about the guy who still hasn't released his tax returns. 
Yeah. yeah, so basically WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange said that if Obama um, grants clemency to Chelsea Manning, he would basically agree to be extradited to America. I, I and, heard and, a bit about that. Wasn't it actually the WikiLeaks Foundation or whatever that said that? It wasn't Julian Assange himself, was it? I, I was under the impression it was him. And then his lawyer said after President Obama commuted Chelsea Manning's sentence, his lawyer came out and said that you know the conditions didn't fit <laughs> what he'd said and everyone was like well you fucking snake <laughs> trying to get out of yeah. this shit but, but <laughs> he's actually gone on to say that no i would be willing to go back to america which i don't sorry i don't mean to just be spreading this sort of liberal hey look behind you russia kind of conspiracy <laughs> shit um you know putin's a communist hammer and sickle is a symbol of russian nationalism totally um, totally but no, it, you do kind of wonder, like, yeah, is uh, Assange just going to get some kind of cushy treatment when he goes to America? I don't know. Tom, what, what, what were your impressions of inauguration and everything? Well, it's... Well... Um... I'll have to, you'll have to edit this. <laughs> well, um, considering considering the friendship between the current president of the United States and the current president of Russia, I'm, I'd Russia. be very worried if I was Snowden right now. Uh, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. That, no, that could that could be bad. I think Trump's administration is going to be awful in every conceivable I, way. I think, it, I, I think it depends if they need like a distraction or something. You know. Yeah. I wouldn't feel very safe if I was him, even considering that. Yeah. Really good point. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what, uh, what, what's the only four inside most liberals' heads at night? Um, Russia. Ah, not the scary Russians. Russia. <laughs> ah, all up inside you, Russia. But don't you know that a nuclear war would have been much more likely with Clinton as president? <laughs> Random shit that I hear online. I'm like, uh... yeah, well, you know, I mean, she she probably would have ramped up tensions with Russia. Yeah. But Trump will probably ramp them up with China, so fuck yeah, America. Plenty likely to have a few wars in the next few years. Whether there'll be nuclear yeah. wars, I don't know, but... But if there was, it would be the fucking end. We're all fucked. Yeah, well, we'll find out pretty quickly if it's a nuclear war, won't we? <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. listeners at home will be waiting for us to say... Okay, Yaya, didn't you have an announcement to make regarding a certain oh. new national holiday? An international holiday, <laughs> actually. Uh, oh, yes. International Flag Burning Day is going to be January 20th from now on. J20, baby. Hashtag so, J20. Yeah, and anybody who's interested, just get online and um, every January 20th, post a f video of you burning whatever flag is easiest for you to get hold of. Uh, yeah, <laughs> preferably the United States, but, you know, oh, yeah, whatever. Because isn't it 20th of January is now Trump's national day of patriotic, patriotic worship? Like oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it, like, I mean, honestly... It, it, it's just whacked out, man. I'm just uh, quickly looking up what he actually went and called it. Yeah, he said, oh, January 20th, 2017 is a national day of patriotic devotion. And apparently one of his very first acts was to, yeah, sign an executive order saying as much. So let's well, uh, show know. him how we uh, feel about patriotism. Oh, yeah. All right. Burn so we burn. are going to be... <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> 
So yeah, Tom, what were your thoughts on the inauguration and the uh, ushering in of the new Trump era? Ginger fashion. Well, all I can really say to the people in America is please organize, please, please accept socialism. <laughs> it's not educate, as it's not bad, organize. please. You've got to start fucking I mean, standing up to these assholes. These are not your saviors. That should be mm. our slogan. Socialism. It's not bad. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it 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 sells it, you know. It's like people think it's socialism. It's bad. It's not. This is the whole point um, of our podcast to just make that point, but we veil it through a what? sort of uh, a film. We've sort of given ourselves away in the sixth episode. We've we've <laughs> we've we've, we've cooked it. We fucking cooked it, guys. We fucking we trying to create, you know, the the, the, the the liberal homosexual propaganda. And oh god, this this is where we turn into basically yeah, like liberal, mate. Pepe's gonna join in and we're just gonna go full fash, like, oh god. <laughs> you never go full fash. How many times have we gotten fash in our fucking podcast now? Like, you, you gotta stop talking about right wing stuff. Like, we just get yeah. with we, we started <laughs> with bloody, like, uh, Alice Shrugged and we've gone to, like, oh, we, we fosh, fash, like, party political broadcasts. Now we not Powell. Where, like, are we gonna, like, do. Fucking, the original uh, idea was a socialist podcast, and now we've turned into an anti-fascist podcast. We've done like an Oswald Mosley, just we went, you know, from conservative to Labour, Labour to the British Union, fascist. You know, we're, we're having a, we're having a <laughs> mad one. <laughs> having a mad one indeed. Well, if anyone's gonna gonna stick up to the stand up to the fascist, stick up, stick up for them. Who's gonna stick up? It's for them. <laughs> Who's gonna stick up for the poor fascist? Julia Hartley Brewer. Because, of course, you know, liberalism was the ideology that beat communism. Sorry, that beat um, uh, uh, fascism back in the... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> That's the, that beat fascism back in the day. You know, absolutely. Liberalism had the had that under control. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. the, the Soviet Union had nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, centrists who got us women's suffrage and civil rights and all these great things, but the centrists got us a national health yeah. service. Exactly. That centrist Labour politician Nye Bevan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The centrist got all that. Did you did you see that tweet where that guy tried to say that and then Owen Jones was just like, "This is fucking delusional." Or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was so rooting for OJ in that one. You guys still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're still I'm here. Of, You're gonna have to I'm edit still... out a lot of. Are you still there? Are you there? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is That's why it's so fun. good that we're not a live show at all. Because it'd just be like so <laughs> awkward. We'd be off the air by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, power of, the power of editing keeps us in business. And the sweet, ideologically correct content as well. <laughs> yes, man. That ideologically correct content. Okay, so the inauguration happened, and there was Trump's weird little fucking reptilian son, like just a <laughs> ghastly little fucking Baron Trump, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Baron Trump. Like he, he is a fucking aristocrat. Like he's no different yeah. to you know, Prince George in his fucking little Hugh Hefner smoking jacket. Just like yeah, he, he's he, probably a baron as well as a prince and all that. Just like a little. You know, children of the extraordinarily rich. Yeah, yeah I, 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 uh, I don't know. But fucking Baron Trump. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, all the Trump <laughs> family. 
Like, they're pretty much fair, fair game, I think. Like, they're just, like, in, in terms of, like, taking the piss out of them. Yeah, I, I think an important distinction to make about, like, when right-wingers used to go after Obama's family is that, other than Michelle, of course, who had a bit of a political role, like, his kids had nothing to do with him. So even if you disagreed with him, like, you know, they, they weren't there, you know, fighting for his cause or whatever. Whereas Donald Trump's family are all just like 100% oh, okay. behind him and they make sure you know it, you know it. So I'd say, They're, yeah, there is a difference and they yeah, are fair game. It is, it is, it is about the, it is about the kind of the brand of Trump, the, the, the power, you know, that's what his, that's what the Trumpism self- could fucking be. Oh God, just this kind of, it, 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 it is so fashion. It's kind of, you know, like. On, on, the, on the White House website, they're selling Melania's fucking jewelry like really? that's how much they're, they're they're really just milking the presidential brand it's elitism at the highest level is, is, is he know, is he still is he still refusing to put his money into a blind trust i don't know God. i don't know i know that he's not personally dealing with his business empire. yeah there was a lot of talk about that though and because he yeah he's making a big deal about him not being in control of it but when you assume the presidency you're supposed to put it into what's called a blind trust where somebody oh, really? you don't know and somebody who doesn't know you has control over the finances so that they can just make objective decisions. Whereas he, unless he's changed it by now, I don't know, he put it in the hands of like one of his children, I do believe, which yeah, is the I, exact I, I, fucking opposite. <laughs> I've heard he's been incredibly nepotistic with his appointments, hasn't he? He appointed no. Jared Kushner, who's Ivanka Trump's husband, to a senior position yes. at the White yeah, yeah. House. And a guy who used to work with Kushner or whatever asshole high-flying job he had before this, he said basically, I used to have nightmares, literal nightmares about Jared Kushner being as powerful as he's going to be now. <laughs> so very <laughs> lucky. They're a lovely bunch of people. <laughs> it reminds me actually of when Ted Cruz was still in the running, how his ex-flatmate at uni, roommate in fact, wrote a series of tweets about Ted Cruz and how he was just a nightmare to live with and someone asked him like did you ever have any kind of moment of warmth or levity with ted cruz and he just went no <laughs> trump's enacted some legislation in office hasn't he uh actually you know do we want to talk just all about american politics should we talk about some british stuff yeah let's move on a bit so i think we've yeah, yeah. There. the trump awful thing it can get old so it was Jeremy Corbyn's populist relaunch, wasn't it? His reboot just in the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I, I was really looking forward to this because the idea is to build on Corbyn's image that some people have of him as this kind of, um, you know, this, this kind of anti-established rebel who stands up yeah. to vested interest. Uh, you all right, Tom? Yeah, I'm fine. What what's that noise? I don't know. Oh, that was I'm go I'm going in the freezer. I'm getting some ice cream. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. All right, okay. Um, no, but, but <laughs> yeah, basically, the idea was to build on Corbyn's image as this kind of anti-establishment rebel who stands up to vested interests. A lot of people do see him as that. But at the same time, a lot of people see him as this kind of very London-centric MP, uh, like part of the Westminster mm-hmm. establishment. And so he's decided to completely set himself apart from that and kind of just accentuate 
his outsider credentials rather than necessarily trying to fit in. Although hopefully he'll maintain, you know, for example, his excellent performances at Prime Minister's Questions that he's been giving for, for quite a while now, you know, and, and still continue to be good in a traditional manner in some of the ways that he clearly is capable of being. But um, it didn't go quite so well as I'd expected because he left a lot of us who support him quite disillusioned by announcing in quite yeah. a big announcement that was trailed to the press the night before the speech he made that Labour was not wedded to freedom of movement and would kind of accept right. the idea of controls on immigration. And this caused a huge uproar among his supporters. And also among the same fucking 48% but controls on immigration. Like, there's like four things a liberal gives a fuck about politically. There's fucking... Russia. Um, oh, Corbyn shit. Yeah, there's Russia. Um, oh, Corbyn shit. There's, uh, oh, we want to go back into the EU. And uh, also there's, we need to listen to legitimate concerns and have strong controls on immigration. So, you know, the same tossers who are both like fanatically pro-EU and fanatically anti-immigration. Some of them praised Corbyn for this step and urged him to go further, like, like Caroline Flint, who appeared on Newsnight, saying that uh, her constituents were worried, you know, because there'd been such a massive change in the ethnic composition. Uh, it had gone from 99.5% white in 1997 to 94.5% white in 2017. So <laughs> over, over 20 years, it had got fucking fractionally less white basically like five percent which is not much honestly um, and she, she literally established a distinction between white and british what i meant here was white and non-british basically in, in the way that she explained these figures and it was really one of the kind of most racialized demands uh, for immigration controls that I've seen coming from a centrist politician. It was quite frightening, I thought, quite Powellian. Hmm, yeah, that's not good news at all. <laughs> yeah, um, but at the same time, some wankers also sort of slagged him off and said, oh, there's no difference between Corbyn and fucking UKIP. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you think UKIP are the tribune of the working class, you fucking centrist dolt. <laughs> but yeah. So his populist relaunch, it's kind of, it's not gone so well in some regards, but on the same time, when he actually delivered his speech the day after trailing it with the anti-immigration stuff, he said he changed it, apparently after pressure from Diane Abbott, to say Labour is not wedded to freedom of movement. But we are not, you know, completely, you know, just like into dispensing with it either. It was just really, really a massive fudge, but it's better mm. than nothing in terms of backtracking on the anti-immigration <sighs> stuff. What is it with the issue that, I, like, immigration just, it keeps coming back to immigration over and over again. Like, why is that such a sticky subject that people just refuse to get over? Just, I don't know, why, why can't we just have people? It's always, it's, always, it's always been framed as the problem. It's always been, yeah, it's always it's, been you know, it's always, it seems through our history, it's always been. It's, it's a depressing corner we find it. ourselves in. Again. And the fact that mm. a lot of the people in the Labour Party think that we have to ride along with that to win votes. It won't win us votes. You're just validating the rhetoric. Like when we were talking about the, the, the fucking BNP advert that we saw from like 
what is it like the mid 2000s the rhetoric they're mm. saying on immigration is the rhetoric you hear quite commonplace now um, yeah absolutely. and just you know it's shocking that kind of we're hearing labor mps talk in that way thinking that we're going to take votes from by you know we're going to take votes when actually we're just validating the original points made by these right-wing parties yeah, yeah i mean i think it's understandable for us as leftists on the kind of periphery of organized politics to really, really not want Jeremy Corbyn to say anything at all that legitimizes concerns, <laughs> legitimizes people <laughs> about immigration. But on the other hand, he is, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I do it basically and I'm not racist, but, <laughs> but Corbyn is under the most extraordinary pressure from all wings of his party to yeah. very divided on it there's stop. no like main consensus really is there there's very there's mean, varying not, issues on the kind of how they you know handle it it's not even that it's divided so much i think they're almost completely seems to be consensus really? um, just on the kind of more controls more controls but varying in that yeah, kind of way yeah however However, on the left, I think it's more divided. You do have people on the left, such as Paul Mason, such as I've heard John McDonald possibly is pushing for stronger controls on immigration. Clive Lewis as um, well, was it? Clive Lewis did say something that could be interpreted as anti-immigration. Yeah, he's freedom of movement hadn't worked for people. But yeah, so Corbyn has to appease this huge kind of mass within his party, who I think, not all of them are reactionaries, but some of them are, going down a, a route that has very reactionary consequences so he's got all these people and you know and on the other hand kind of diane abbott and people who like her have extremely pro-immigration views which i happen to totally agree with and think should be the official kind of labor view but it, it isn't it's much more in the other direction i think that the party is kind of not necessarily the membership but the the organization of the party are quite anti-immigration at the present time, or at least they see that as the correct way to triangulate with the electorate in order to um, receive votes. And I also think this kind of pressure from all sides is why Labour can't block Article 50. Like, it's fine yeah. for Tim Farron with his nine MPs to say, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> we're going to block Article 50. It's like, you're going to do fuck all, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Labour aren't going to be able to block it either. People saying, oh, yeah. if only we had a proper opposition to block Article 50. What? An opposition with a majority in Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> do they not reckon that, uh, that enough Tories will rebel? No, I sincerely doubt it. As but I know, I think Ken Clark will. But so I, I know there know. definitely is a wing of the Conservative Party that does not want out of the EU. There is, I think, Anna Soubry and a few other people in in the Conservative Parliamentary Party oh, right. are very pro EU. But for the most part, I mean, Theresa May was pro Remain, but they they just yeah. go along with the flow of conservatism, right? And you know, True. Brexit. It's working for the Tories at the moment. So I think the vast majority of the parliamentary party who are, I mean, they can be, you know, J John Major called them bastards, didn't he? Very, they can be uh, forms in the side of a leadership. But I don't think the current lot really are. Fucking hell, they gave Cameron an easy enough ride. And I think as far as I can see, they seem to be doing yeah. the same with May. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think that Brexit could be blocked in Parliament. I think it will go through the majority. I think because simply a lot of Labour MPs will be voting for it, because two thirds of Labour constituencies voted Leave. 
And if MPs in those constituencies were seen to be blocking the democratic will of the British people, then they would almost certainly lose their seats. So it's important to Labour standing electorally around the country that they don't block the EU referendum result. That doesn't mean we have to support the Tory plan for a, a hard Brexit. But there probably is going to be a hard Brexit, and there's definitely going to be a Brexit. We can't change it, so we can do our best to ameliorate it and think about how socialist policies can be enacted and how political battles can be fought on this new political terrain. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I agree. So that's the issue Labour's facing. I mean, they most Labour voters voted for Remain. But not a massive majority, 60-something. So there's still a good, like, I think 38% of Labour voters or something um, went, oh, that's like Corbyn Smith numbers. Um, <laughs> so they, um, yeah, 38% or something, something like that, around 40% voted Leave. So it is, it is a genuine thing. Labour can't take a stance one way or the other. Like, they can't just be an anti-Brexit party. You know, people should fuck off to the Lib Dems if they like the EU that much. Because the EU ain't all that, frankly. If the rest of the parties, instead of trying to completely whitewash it and make it out to be the greatest thing ever, like, had just been honest and done Corbyn's kind of, like, 7 out of 10, like, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the EU, but, like, you know, it would be fucked if we left. Yeah, it, the yeah. EU is pretty terrible, but the Tories are even worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These fucking fanatics, man, these liberal fundamentalists, they're just obsessed with the idea that they can somehow overturn the result. But it's it's not it's not going to happen. It's not going to yeah. happen. We've got a hard right government who are determined. More or less done deal, yeah. Yeah, they're determined to drive it through because they have a mandate to. I tell you, if they ra if they had an election now, Theresa May's Brexit government, I think, would clear up. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. When you get Corbyn out on the campaign trail, he does come to life. But I think Labour are in a very weak position now, possibly because they've spent, I mean, what, like nine so months? So much time bickering with each other, yeah. Yeah, well, they've spent nine months since the last election having a leadership election. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're having just had they... one the year before. Right? It doesn't really look like there's going to be any reconciliation anytime soon. There's going to be some further battles going on, on in there before there really can be in a fit state to fight an election. It's going to yeah. be a tough, whether that election could be called this year or it's going to be in 2020 it's going to be interesting yeah the left have got to start winning some selection yeah. battles and have some fucking stick. faith in what they're saying and and actual left-wing beliefs and stop fucking saying <laughs> oh that's where well, we need to be more you know yeah it is the fucking well, immigrants mean, actually yeah oh. <laughs> well, well we have you know we have like a lot of a lot of other people are committed left-wingers but on the other hand in the constituency Labour parties, reactionaries like that Gillian Troughton person, who just seems to be total Labour right, like, um, she's got the nomination yeah. for Copeland, and, and she won over a really good sort of left-wing pro-Corbyn candidate. And at the same time, the left candidate didn't even make it on the long list for the Stoke-on-Trent central by-election. But the problem is, when they keep being by-elections, and the Labour left, have not got their candidate selected for a single one of those by-elections. There has not yeah. been a new pro-Corbyn MP to enter the Houses of Parliament since he became leader. In fact, there's been fewer because Michael Nietzsche died 
pretty soon after oh, yeah, the game, yeah, yeah. was replaced by Jim McMahon. Um, mm. So yeah, the, the left does really need to start winning in these internal battles, just like we have in the leadership elections. I mean, I tell you what, this it would be a lot easier. I mean, it would have been a really hard fight. But if the left had put up a candidate for deputy leader in 2015, Tom Watson wouldn't be deputy leader. Say, if we'd have been able to associate that candidate with Corbyn, people would have voted for the left-wing deputy leadership candidate. And, you know, Tom Watson was key to the coup that was organized against Corbyn, operating on behalf of the, the right of the PLP. So if Corbyn had been able to, to have an ally in that area, and it's the same if Diane Abbott had been uh, elected mayor of London instead of Sadiq Khan, that would have been, it's great to have her own shadow cabinet, but that would have been a real position of strength for the Labour left. So we need to start planning our actions within the party more strategically. I'm hoping the AGM for London Young Labour that's happening pretty soon goes well and that Beth Foster Og gets elected because the other candidate doesn't look so good and the leadership of London Young Labour has not been great for the last few years. Benjamin oh, Butterworth. You've, all, you've wow. been going on about London Young Labour a fair bit, haven't you? The, some of the stuff posted in, the, in their uh, <laughs> Facebook sections are certainly uh, intriguing. Mm. Just smuggest. <laughs> the, the right of London Young Labour, I, I mean, they, they have... The views are indistinguishable from Tories. It's just this West Wing fantasist bullshit about, you know, we just got to be fucking <laughs> find the ideal centre ground that everyone likes. It's like, wake the fuck yeah. up. People aren't the ground anymore. They're all, you know, 48%, we need to stay in the European Union. Or they're fucking, oh, Brexit, kick them all out, mate. Or they're just kind of like us and they're like, end capitalism, fucking end it now. You know, people got no yeah. time for that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, like, that is the 48% kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. it's the extreme centre, isn't it? It's what Tariq Ali wrote about. And, oh, you know, yes. th their beliefs are just warping into a grotesque caricature of themselves. To, to them, the answer is always in the middle. And, you know, compromise is king. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the Fabian Society recently published that report that said that Labour needs to find the ideal centre ground between Tony Blair and Donald Trump. Of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, this so, was a big... David Cameron? Whoa, yeah, no, that, that's pretty good, actually. I'd I say, you know, um, Cameron and, and May going a little further in the Trumpy direction, and, oh, she's going to be the first uh, world leader that Trump meets with, isn't she? I mean, I think hopefully Labour can kind of... Because Trump's hugely unpopular in the has, UK. Has she been warned that, that he likes to grab him by the pussy? Apparently, she's going to have a frank word with him about um, <laughs> using that kind of uh, language about women. I, I, I probably, I don't fuck it. Maybe I, I, it was in my head. Like, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's true or don't. I imagined it in one of my fucking delusional. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> like, uh, uh, she was asked by Andrew Marr, "How are you going to represent women?" when you're talking to Trump, and she, she was just like, by being there, it's like, oh yeah, baby, woke tourism, yas, slay queen, <laughs> hang out with Trump, 
for the girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, if Labour can try and paint Theresa May as part of the same sort of like political movement as Trump, it could go one or two ways. I could start saying, actually, Theresa May's standing up for the establishment, not Labour. Or they could go, oh, fucking hell, we don't like that Trump. What is she doing hanging around with him? <laughs> well, that'll be a um, meeting for the ages. That will be. So should we... Should we let Tom sleep in a minute? But very quickly first, what movies have you all seen? Uh, I saw, uh, I've seen Silence, Martin Scorsese's Passion uh, Project. Oh, what uh, do you make of that? I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a difficult film to watch, though, and it could be trimmed by about 20, 20 minutes or so. But apart from that, it isn't mm. visually just kind of like flashes of Kurosawa in there that he's paying homage to and understandable because he's very much inspired by Akira Kurosawa in his work but right, I, would, right. I, would, I would put that ahead of the other film I saw certainly uh, which was Live By Night Ben Affleck's oh, okay. latest film yeah a shame because I quite like Ben Affleck as a filmmaker um, I liked his trilogy of films yeah, Argo is alright yeah Argo is good I quite like I like The Town Gone Baby Gone's good as well but The Town and Gone Baby Gone were like decent decent enough yeah mm. And then, of course, Live By Night is, yeah, just pretty tamed, some pretty awful writing in there, some Brendan Gleeson, sorry? I heard every gangster cliche in the book. Pretty much, yeah, but it's just, (laughs) but they attempt to make it fresh and different by setting it in Tampa Bay, Florida. Prohibition in Florida. First Um, date. There's nothing is ever going to come of going to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and and this, and Chris Cooper's wasted. Brendan Gleeson's uh, kind of you know in there as well. Wait, completely wasted. Why was silence kind of like difficult? And and like how long is it? I believe it's almost three hours, two and a half hours, three hours. I'm pitching it out. His latest epic. Scorsese just don't give a fuck now. He's not going to do short films. He's just like yeah, yeah three hours. Absolutely, <laughs> and of course it's difficult because it involves a lot of Jesuit priests being tortured. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. some quite you know lingering. Did you say police? Oh no, pr- priests. Sorry, I was priests, like yeah. Jesuit police. Jesuit police. You would have been like, yeah, yeah, torture those. Yeah, fucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, the fucking cops are getting it. Fucking. <laughs> uh, yeah. Andrew Garfield's not really that dazzling in the film, to be brutally honest. Liam Neeson's all right. It's pretty good for the time that he's in it and Adam Driver actually is you know decent enough but again not really given much screen time um, he's in it's... Jim Jarmusch's new film um, Patterson yes I, about I, the bus driver about I, like a week in the life of a bus driver just following a bus driver is it he's like an Iraq war vet the character and yeah I've heard Patterson is really good I, I haven't got around to seeing that yet but I did see Jim Jarmusch's other film which is his documentary about Iggy and the Stooges Gimme Danger mm-hmm after their song on, on Raw Power, their album from 1973. Ooh. And I, I would recommend it. It's fucking great. I think I watched it on Check Amazon it Prime Video or whatever, but, but like, hopefully you can download it. Oh, you I think I've got it. an account. Yeah. You can get it on DVD or it's, you can stream it on Amazon. But yeah, basically it's... Uh, here it, Pirate Bay has a good offer. Uh, <laughs> it, it basically tells the story of Iggy and the Stooges from their humble beginnings in Detroit, recording their first album in New York with John Cale, to their second album in LA, and then getting all together, going to England with Bowie and recording Raw Power. Yeah, England, oh, mate, it's it's bloody great with your bloody... Chips and raw tea. 
Oh. Uh, your bullet, your wheeze. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> Gimme Danger, not Gimme Shelter, the Maisel uh, Brothers documentary about the Rolling Stones, the Altamont concert, concert where somebody got killed. <laughs> it's uh, no, g- Gimme Gimme Danger is good, and it's kind of it doesn't have too many of the kind of crazy stories about how the Stooges, when they ran out of drugs, when they were all living in the same house, they tried to uh, snort dust off the floor to see if it would get them high <laughs> it doesn't have too much of that stuff but it's just a good like affectionate documentary um and jim jarmish has form in that area because he made one of my favorite music documentaries it's really kind of scrappy film it's shot on like super eight cameras and it is called year of the horse and it's a documentary about neil young and crazy horse and it is just them in 97 just the heaviest most droning jams uh, yeah, it's it, it's great and just kind of interviews with Neil Young, kind of insisting here, like, oh, Crazy Horse of the Band, like, it's not it's not not my solo project, and, and it's it's re- it's really good. And Crazy Horse is a band, by the way, but he tr- sort of tries to deny that he obviously leads it in a very dictatorial manner, <laughs> being Neil Young and Crazy Horse. But yeah, Gimme Danger is a good watch, and it's good to see a lot of Scott Ashton, who died in 2014, and Ron Ashton drummer and guitarist of the Stooges, respectively. Ron died in 2009. So it's just, it's really affectionate. Jim Jarmusch is a huge music fan, uh, has made some of the best use of music of any film director, I think, throughout his career. Like Neil Young's soundtrack for Dead Man, RZA's soundtrack for Ghost Dog, uh, and various other things he's done, like the yeah. short film Iggy Pop and Tom Waits and Coffee and Cigarettes. Is, is wonderful but yeah um, i really like that and aside from that i've been digging through a big playlist by comrade at malaise forever on twitter tom is one of the many leftist toms and he basically compiled <laughs> this playlist i think he's called new puritan or something on, on youtube i mean and it's a playlist called the best damn videos on this lousy website something to that effect and it's just like fuck a fuckload of like socialist goodness like vintage docs about like Antifa, like a load of Tony Benn stuff, a discussion between E.P. Thompson and C.L.R. James, the two great Marxist historians. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every episode of Bill Brand, Trevor Griffith's brilliant 1970s ITV drama series about a left-wing Labour politician. It's, you know, it's just absolutely stuffed with gold, and uh, you need to follow Tom at Malaise Forever and beg him to retweet his playlist and keep it, you know, yeah. popping up or age at regular intervals because it's wonderful. I'll, I'll post it again myself on the Real Politics Twitter account because it's great. And right. so me and, me and Tom have said what we've watched. What have you watched out here? Uh, I've been keeping up with the newest season of Always Sunny. Oh, yeah? Um, pretty good first episode, pretty political. You know, they all turn black and find out what it's like to live as a black person in America. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's wow. kind of a weird little, like, parody of the whiz kind of thing going on and uh, ends with charlie getting shot because he pulls out a toy train that the cops gave him earlier i watched dog eat dog that, that was a good film yeah you like dog eat dog oh yeah some good old nick cage uh, being a bad man such a bad yeah, man they managed, they managed to keep it quite like stylistically fresh without obviously using yeah. too much money in that film like lots of filters changing on the camera and shit like that it felt quite high concept high money but it you know it, it had that indie feeling as well to it 
in Spirit. Yeah. They, they well, did know, a very good job, very technically well done. Yeah, you know the story behind Dog Eat Dog is that Nick Cage and Paul Schrader did that film in, I think, 2014, The Dying of the Light, and it was a kind of espionage thriller. And oh, they, yeah, I remember you saying that you were kind of lukewarm on that. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan, uh, and it, it wasn't a great movie. Basically, I never ended up uh, watching it. <laughs> but the final cut got taken away from Paul Schrader, and they, like, changed score and, like, changed the fucking lighting of a load of scenes and shit. Just, like, edits that apparently really fucked it up and made it right. worse. And him and Nick Cage couldn't disparage it publicly, but they would not promote the film. And they all, uh, you know, kind of protested it and, and uh, yeah. disowned it. So this was, like, Nick Cage and Paul Schrader were like, right, we're going Let's to do this do right. <laughs> Properly, yeah, and it's it's cool because it's you know Paul Schrader. He's not like the best director in the world, but he's done some great films, and he's written yeah. Taxi Driver and and The Last Temptation of Christ and others for Scorsese. In fact, he wrote Scorsese's film Bringing Out the Dead, which Nick Cage stars in. So it's great to see Cage working with a, a proper auteur and turning in a really solid performance. Uh, it's definitely yeah. his best of the last. Oh, actually, I'm not sure. Is is the trust better? Maybe. Because I thought that one was really fun. The, the sort of high. I still thing. haven't watched that one. Oh, with him and Elijah Wood. I like that. I didn't think Army of One was this good. That was a bit no, kind of. That was. Fortunate. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, Tom, is there anything else you've forgotten that you'd like to mention? Uh, Rogue One, but fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> in a Star Wars discussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I think there's been enough about that now. <laughs> yeah, let's. Everybody's let's, fucking let's... hyping up the next one, so I'm just like, no, I can't. I no more, no more until next ends. Christmas until I get fucking another fucking onslaught of that shit oh, we're going to get annual Star Wars films for the rest of our natural lives uh, <laughs> <laughs> once every oh, year Tom, now yeah, you've been listening like... to The Real Politic with myself Tom Foster my colleague Jack Frayne Reed, and the incredible Jewish communist Yaya Rice we'll see you next time with some <laughs> ideologically correct content it's hashtag content I thought about peace guys solidarity <laughs> forever it's tech it's exciting it's young people it's crowdsourcing it's tech it's exciting it's young people it's crowdsourcing